welcome everyone. Good to see you all today. Especially welcome the visitors there. As superintendent, I kind of dropped the ball there with, with all these visitors, but that's fine um, as far as getting somebody for the topic. But that's all right. Um, sometimes maybe that's an easy card to play is have visitors do that. So. Um, the last while, actually ever since Bible school, I've, I've, been, uh, have, I've been thinking on this thought, and um, there's a lot, of, a lot of good material out there in regards to this topic, if, if you want to look more into it sometime. I'm just going to touch briefly on it today. Um, there's the thought of becoming like a child, and um, for those who don't know, uh, we, were, we helped the last couple years with BBS in charge. We're, we're off this year, but we helped for the last four years with that. So we were very involved there, and it's always a highlight of the year. It's a tiring week of the year, but um, it's fun to go around and, and see um, the energy that's there, the enthusi enthusiasm about learning, um, and just, yeah, the enthusiasm about life. Sometimes as adults, we uh, life sometimes kind of uh, maybe dulls that out of us or, or, you know, kind of life weighs down on us sometimes, and it's good to be exposed to that be around children for a week and, and kind of get, um, yeah, get rekindled in that, to be excited and optimistic about life, um, dream bigging and dream big and, uh, and, um, and yeah, sometimes we, we maybe overthink things as adult and get caught up in that. <clears throat> one of the, one of the things that really stuck out to me is one night, um, what we were doing offering this week, this year, and it was for the Syrian refugees, and every night Chad gave some more facts about it or, or um, shared some more about that. I don't know how it was interpreted through to the children or what they heard every night, but it really, it really, um, it really touched me there. But one of the things that came through to me was almost a thing of being overwhelmed by the numbers, the amount of people that are displaced and how little it feels like we can do to help that sometimes. But, you know, we, it's so easy to look at the look at the amount of help that is needed and how much we're able to give. But then when we were in the back collecting the, the offering there, um, the children came back excited to give. They were excited about the little bit they had. And they obviously were going home and telling more people about it because they kept bringing money every night. And um, so that was interesting because I thought um, Chad had, he was stacking cups and it was $50 a cup. And he had challenged him earlier in the week that he had 100 cups and he, he wants to have to go buy more cups. So I figured, you know, maybe the last night we'll hit that. But it was already on uh, Thursday night, I think, or uh, Wednesday night that they got to that goal already. So they did very well this year and were enthusiastic about that. The one night we were counting money and, and it was a dollar bill. Somebody had taken the time um, and folded up a dollar bill real nice, like an envelope. And I was like, what? And so I started opening it up. And how it falls a penny. So it was kind of, I was like, all right, well, a dollar and a penny. It is what it is. But then I had to think about, you know, to God, that, that child was excited about giving. They had taken the effort to do that. And I'm like, yeah, that God sees the heart on that. So we've got a lot of things we can learn from children. Of course, um, some of the most popular verses we think of, and I'll actually share a couple of them. <clears throat> Matthew 18.3. Um, then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Another one is Mark 10, 14. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. 
One more verse there was Luke 18, 17. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So, you know, some people might, and there again, this is an interesting topic to look up. Sometimes we can use the phrase maybe childlike faith, or um, sometimes it can maybe be thought of as just not asking, asking questions, just, just believing and going along with. Um, and I think it might, it, I think it's more than that, because uh, those of us who are around children or parents of children know that that phase is actually pretty short, where they just do what they're told, or, you know, if you ask, maybe ask one to jump and you'll catch them, yeah, they will to a certain age, and then after that they're like, well, can you really catch me? So, um, but thinking more on that, the one article brought out a couple things that I thought were interesting was, um, in regards to that, these are just some thoughts there about we can learn from children is, is how, and, and like I said earlier, sometimes life, um, past experiences, or um, we would say maybe muscle memory, our first reaction to things, um, kind of changes as we become adults here, and we get a little more cautious about it, but to become more like children, we can maybe hope more, we can dream bigger, forgive easier, do creative trust, live life fuller, be excited, be adventuresome, and be tender of heart. And those are things that that um, we see in children a lot sooner, and as adults, it can, you know, like I said, their life can kind of drain that out of us sometimes if we don't, if we're not careful with that. Um, yeah, especially like dreaming big or, or even just being willing to give what you can quickly. We know the story in scripture there, um, the feeding of the 5,000, five loaves, two fishes. Um, you know, the miracle was Jesus was able to feed the whole crowd and there was leftovers. But I think sometimes the lesson for us is, is the child was there with his lunch, all he had, and he was willing to just give it to Jesus, whatever you can do with it. Um, and I think that's a powerful lesson, is be willing with what we have, even though... You know, sometimes we look out there and the news is pretty bleak. Sometimes what's all going on in the world around us, it might not feel like we have much to offer or much to give, but, you know, that's not really what... We're not asked to fix everything. We're asked to do what we can and, and to give what we can. And So we can learn... That's one thing we can learn um, is to, to dream big and, and um, be willing to, to give all that we have towards, towards uh, furthering God's kingdom there. Another... <clears throat> Another thought was there is to forgive like a child. And I don't know if any of you have experienced that, um, the forgiveness of a child. I know um, this stuck out to me yesterday. We had a, a really busy day. You know, most, most Saturdays in the summer are usually kind of planned out ahead of time. We have, we have our expectations of how the day is going to go and until it actually gets there. Sometimes it changes. So we had a, uh, my cleaning person was gone this week for the for the cottage, and we had a short window of when we had to get it ready from from one guest to the next guest, and it would it, it was fine. Everybody knows their job, and it's not really a problem. But then the night before, the the person that was there, the oven quit working, so I figured out the problem and I sourced the part, and it was something I could fix. And then I had some other stuff to do, so it was going to be a little bit of a full day, um, but it was very doable if everybody did their part. Um, right now, with Garrett, Garrett with all his teething and everything, so he's him and sleep are have a little bit of a distant relationship there. But so that was going fine. He was in the one room sleeping, and then and the three year old woke him up. So um, 
Okay, so we got that, got the day done, and we everybody got done. We had some time for swimming and met the next people, and then um, and then we went on with the day. Went out for lunch there as part of the deal. If they helped me get the cottage turned around, um, and then what do you know? Garrett fell asleep again, and he was sleeping maybe a half hour, and the same job woke him up again. So we kind of kind of came on hard about on to him about that for waking him up a second time, and then so we thought about it more on the evening. And, you know, it wasn't, you know, he's three, it was a busy day. So we asked him to come up and we told him there and we apologized for that. And we weren't, weren't, you know, barely done asking, saying we're sorry. And he was like, oh, I forgive you. And I was like, how many times as adults do, if, if somebody sincerely asks for apology, do we, are we that quick to forgive or do we want to, do we want to hold back a little bit or do we want to, do we want to expect more out of them? Um, but yeah, there's a lot you can learn. So these are just thoughts I had. I only touched on the surface. Um, yeah, like I said, there's a lot of good articles out there, a lot of topical studies on this. And I don't know if you think there's things for sure that in your life that you can definitely improve on, become more childlike in. Um, I know there's there's many things I can. I take encouragement from the verse there in First Peter 5, 7. To give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. So God knows we have these challenges. Let's just bring them to Him, and um, He'll be happy to help us work on them. So let's go ahead and have prayer. <clears throat> Lord, thank you we're able to meet here today. Thank you for the worship service so far. I'll pray a blessing on the Sunday school hour for the teachers I've consented to teach, and may we be open to learn. Be with the one that brings us the message today. In Jesus' name, Amen. <laughs> Before we pray, I wanted to make you aware, um, Lorena is planning to travel out of the country. Um, Lorena, I didn't give you a warning, but you want to tell us a little bit about what your plans are? God bless you for um, allowing yourself and using your skills in this way and, and to help these people. So we want to mention Lorena in prayer as we pray this morning as we spent several months there in Mexico. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we can gather together this morning as a church, as a community of believers, um, as we study your word, as we hear your word. May we be able to apply to our lives, learn from it, become more uh, godly, become a light for you in this world. We especially want to ask you this morning to just bless Lorena. She travels this week. May you keep her safe in her travels to Mexico and use her and the skills that she has to be a blessing and a help to the people there. May she find opportunities to minister to them um, spiritually as well and encouraging them and helping them. And may you just give her wisdom and understanding with her role as a leader there in that clinic. And may you 
Uh, give her grace for the challenges that she will face. Just bless Lauren this morning as he brings the message now. May you um, enable him to speak clearly what you've laid upon his heart. May he be able to take your word and apply it correctly to our lives. And we look to you to speak through him. And we want to be open to hearing what you have for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Greetings to each one of you this morning, and it's good to have you here to worship with, with us here this morning. For you that haven't been here the last few months, um, we're going to be continuing um, the study I have been doing on the book of James. We've been looking at the change and transformation that the faith in Jesus Christ can bring to our lives. And this morning, we're going to be turning to a passage in James that maybe James is most well known for. It's James chapter 3, and it's speaking about the power of our words and how we need to guard our tongue and what a challenge that is. And as I was looking at this uh, subject for this morning, you know, we think about James when we think about our tongue, but the New Testament actually has quite a bit to say about our words and how the person of God is to speak. But first of all, we will be turning to James chapter 3 and reading verses 1 through 12 and seeing what God desires for his children in the way we talk. So I'll be reading James chapter 3, starting in verse 1 now. It says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that ye shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which, though they be so great, are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it setteth on fire, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of bird, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father. And therewith curse be men which are made after the similitude of God. <clears throat> Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. So here we have James talking about how God or the challenge that our tongue is to us. And the first thing he starts out with is warning us against the desire to have many positions of teaching. And, you know, as we think about that, the position of a, being a teacher, you know, that can happen in many different ways. You know, there's school teachers, there's 
you know, obviously pastors, there's teachers in, in all kinds of settings. You're also a teacher in your home, and um, as you have children, and, you know, maybe at your job, you're a teacher. And you hold a great responsibility in that position. You know, as a teacher, you have the opportunity to guide your listeners on the path of life. You have give them wisdom so that they can make good decisions. You can help them choose life. Or you can... If we, don't, if we don't teach the truth, you know, we can direct them down the wrong path, a path that leads away from God and to destruction. And here in this verse, it says that we as teachers are going to be held to a higher standard than those who don't teach. God holds us accountable for the things we teach. And you know that's one of the things that, as a pastor, probably um, makes me tremble the most is that many times you were called to teach and that we, I would not teach things that are not the things of God. And so I thank those of you that pray for us as we teach because it's, we need your prayers. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us so that we teach truth. You know, it's imperative that as you teach, you teach truth of God. You know, not what, you know, what other people think or what we think, but we need to teach the truth of God and it's important that we base our teaching on the things of God. And so, you know, as we share with our communities, we share with those who we are teaching, let's be teaching the things of God. And, you know, in today's culture with our access to technology, um, we're used to many people being quick to teach, quick to put things out there for others to see. But as we do that, we need to remember that we will be held accountable before God for the things we teach. We bear a responsibility because other people are taking their cues from our teaching. And in verse 2, um, I think we can probably you know, identify well with that. It says, for in many things we offend all. Um, you know, our humanity will come out quite often, and probably more often than we would like. And you know, we're going to stumble, we're going to fail. There's going to be times we offend others. But by the grace of God, we can cry out to him. We can ask for forgiveness, and he is there to pick us up and set us on the right path. And verse 2, it shows us what a challenge lies ahead of us when it comes to the words we speak. It says that if any man offend not in the word, the same is a perfect man. So as someone who has their speech under control, who through the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit has their speech in a godly fashion, many of his other areas of life will be in order as well because speech is such a challenge. <clears throat> and as we look on down through the chapter, we see how that even though this member of our body is such a small member, it has a huge impact. You know, your tongue can have a devastating impact on the war on the world, or be a force for good in society. And James goes down through here and he gives us a few examples of things in nature and things that we understand that illustrate this point. And so we just want to look at a few of those. And the first is a couple, you know, a tool that we can use. The first is bit in a horse's mouth. And while I've not had much experience with horses, and there's others of you that have more experience than I do, but horses are very powerful and can be a very wild animal. 
but with the proper training and with a small bit in its mouth, that horse can be a force for a lot of good. You know, this country was developed very rapidly in part because of horses. People could travel and use them for plowing and all kinds of things. And so they are, can be a force for good, but if you have a wild, untrained horse, he can also cause a lot of destruction and even death. And for an example that's a little bit more personal to me, I was thinking about, you know, my cows and the, the young stock at home. You know, I put them out in the field, and for the most part, not always, but for the most part, they stay in the field simply because there's a little box in the barn and a little wire around their fence. Um, that wire carries a heavy punch, but, you know, that is for the most part a psychological barrier. And as they show me at times, if they decide to, they can, they can run right through that. But for the most part, they are contained by that. And I have, we have a few pigs on the farm, and they're probably the most well-known for this. But you can actually take that wire away for a while, and they will still stay there, even though the wire is gone. And as I was thinking about that, sometimes, you know, we are held hostage maybe by people's words, even though there's no truth to them. So I think there was a little lesson in that for, for me. But as I was thinking about that, that wire and that, that small instrument, it controls those animals that um, could very easily overrun that. Um, but it's for their protection. It's for the protection of them. It's for our protection. It can cause a lot of frustration and damage very quickly um, if they don't stay where they're supposed to. The other instrument that James refers to that has, that's a little instrument but has a huge effect is the rudder of a ship. You know, the ships are a very massive piece of equipment. And I looked into the, long, uh, the biggest ship, the longest self-propelled ship built in history was built in the late 70s. This ship was, um, I think it was called the Seawise Giant, was over 1,500 feet long and 225 feet wide. It was a crude oil tanker that could hold 4.1 million barrels of crude oil. The loaded weight of this ship was over 720,000 tons when fully loaded. You know, this is such a massive um, machine that it's hard to wrap our minds around this number. Yet in the comparison to the ship's weight, the rudder only weighed 230 tons. And while that might sound like a huge piece of equipment, in comparison, the weight comparison is less than one-tenth of a percent in comparison to the weight of the, the total ship. It was so, I couldn't even, I was trying to figure out how to say the number and I just gave up. And <laughs> but it, it's such a small instrument and yet that huge ship was controlled by it. There was a captain in that ship simply by turning his instruments that would turn the rudder, this huge ship would turn and follow the commands of it. And that's, you know, how James is talking about our tongue. It's such a small part of our body, and yet it can have dramatic effect on our lives and the lives of our communities. When you think back, you know, on your life, when you think back to people that encouraged you and who taught you, and helped shape you who you are today, sometimes for the good and sometimes for the bad. Um, there was power in people's words. 
Another example he uses is fire. And I, I was thinking about two fires um, as an example. On the same day, in October 8, 1871, there was two Midwestern towns that suffered uh, a tragic fire. There's one of, one of those fires you probably all know about, and that was the, the Great Chicago Fire that burned one-third of the city of Chicago and caused the deaths of approximately 300 people. It also destroyed 17,000 buildings and left 100,000 residents homeless. And in today's dollars, the damage was $4.7 billion. The second fire was only 250 miles north of Chicago, and it was called the Peshtigo Fire. And that is still the most devastating forest fire in the United States history. In the span of two hours, it caused the deaths of anywhere from 1,500 to 2,500 people. The number is still unknown. And destroyed or burned 1.2 million acres, an area the size of the state of Connecticut. You know, as you think about the massive scale of destruction that those fires caused, James is warning us that our tongue can have the same effect as those fires. It can cause a massive amount of damage and devastation to the people around us. You know, some, if we allow revenge and bitterness, envy, you know, wrong assumptions and gossip and many of those things, if we let those spread in our hearts, they can spread from us to other people very quickly if we do not control the use of our tongue. You know, I did some calculations and thought about if, if I told five people something today and those five people told another five people and then it just kept going, if you went through that cycle ten times, it would spread to the whole world. So that tells you how quickly news can spread. And with today's technology, it probably would spread even faster because that's just a multiplier. Um, so words can be very, very effective in spreading good or spreading things that are not so good. As I think about that, we think about two examples in the Bible. In the book, The Power of a Woman's Words, the author points to two examples from Scripture that we can look at to see the contrast that we're talking about here. And the first one is the prophetess Deborah. She was um, the prophetess during the time when the people of Israel were oppressed by the Canaanite king Jabin. Jabin had a very powerful army that included 900 chariots of iron. And Judges tells us that he oppressed the Israelites mightily for 20 years. And this brought the Israelites to their knees and it caused God to cry out to, to God for help. And, you know, it's, as I was thinking about that, being oppressed for 20 years, um, we quickly read over that and, and think maybe it, it wasn't that long of a span of time. But when we all had to sit at home for, for a couple months, you know, I think maybe that gives us a little idea of, the, of being held captive. Um, by a force like the Canaanite king here. And so we can maybe appreciate when we think about being held captive for 20 years and why these people cried out to God for help. And Deborah was there as a leader to help deliver these people. And so she called up uh, Barak and told him that God wanted him to go up and fight against Sisera. But Barak 
was not too enthused about this idea. He was afraid, and he said, I'll only go if you go. Now, Deborah had a choice here. This leader of the Israelite army was too scared to go, and she could have belittled him. She could have said, you know, you're too scared, we'll find somebody else. But instead, she encouraged him. She went with him. She was supportive of him. And she came alongside Barak, and there was a mighty victory won for God that day. The Israel army, the Israelite army was able to go on and defeat the army of Jabin because of Deborah's willingness to work with Barak in, in doing God's will that day. The other example is Miriam. Miriam is somebody that we might be a little bit more familiar with. You know, she was also called a prophetess in the, the life of the nation of Israel. She was a sister of Moses and Aaron, and most likely was the sister that um, took Moses down to the Nile River and hid, hid him in the bulrushes. You know, as a young girl, she watched over her little brother there and protected him. But now, 80 years later, she has a little different attitude. You know, as Moses and Aaron were leading um, the Israelites to the promised land, she was also assisting them. And so they started to envy Moses for his position. They started to speak out against Moses because his wife was not an Israelite. They started to speak ill of him. And this made God very angry. And he came down and spoke to them in the cloud. And when the cloud disappeared, Miriam was covered with leprosy. And Moses, being the meek, humble man that he was, he cried out to God and begged that he would forgive Miriam for her sin, despite what she had just done to him. And God granted Moses' request. But meantime, Miriam had to go outside the camp for seven days, and the Israelite, the nation of Israel had to wait on their journey. So here, by Miriam being envious, using her tongue, in a negative way, she stopped the whole nation of Israel in their tracks. And we can see that, you know, here was two women that had the power to either bring victory to Israel or to bring defeat and discouragement. So let's use our tongue for encouragement and building each other up. The next section here we see um, down toward verses... 10, 11, and 12, we see how that our speech can be very hypocritical at times. You know, we have a small member of our bodies that produces results that are at the opposite ends of the spectrum. We can sit here in church this morning, we can bless God, we can praise God, we can sing His praises, and yet, you know, we leave the house of worship, and sometimes maybe we haven't even left yet, and we proceed to condemn those around us. You know, maybe we're feeling frustrated with our coworker, our cantankerous boss, the annoying neighbor, those who hold different worldviews, our politicians, whoever, you know, maybe it's a pastor or teacher, and we begin to criticize them. You know, whatever the case may be, our words are so different than the ones we just spoke about our, our Savior. So James asks us a sobering question. Can a tree produce two different fruits? You know, do we go out to the apple tree and find apples and oranges? Do we go to the peach tree and find peaches and mangoes? I think we'd all say no to that. That's a basic law of nature. You won't find different fruits on the same tree. And so that's what James is trying to illustrate here for us. You know, we produce 
what is inside of us. Our speech is evidence of who we are. And the fruit that we produce tells God and tells those looking on what kind of person we are. You know, we can't expect to speak well of God and then speak ill of others and be victorious in our Christian life. You know, if we are talking in ways that are ungracious, we have allowed the well of our hearts to be contaminated by the devil. And we need to allow Christ to cleanse our well and our hearts of sin so that pure, refreshing words can come from us once again. You know, ungracious words come from a contaminated source. And so, you know, if we're speaking ungracious words, unfortunately, we've probably been contaminated with something other than it's of God. If we find ourselves struggling with this, we need to take a look at our hearts and minds and think about what we are allowing into our lives. The things of God will produce speech, will not produce speech that is ungracious, angry, and condemning. So I just want to look... um, for a few points, uh, turn to another scripture, look at a few points what the speech of the redeemed will look like. And for that scripture, I want to turn to Ephesians 4, and we'll be reading verses 22 to 32. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 32. That you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, Neither, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to use to the edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So there's four things that I will be looking at in this portion of Scripture that will be evidence of God controlling our speech. And as we look at thinking about James saying that no man can tame the tongue, that can look kind of depressing to us. But as we look at that, it says no man. God can control your tongue. We can't on our own strength. We can't do that on our own strength. No man can do that. We can't tame each other's tongue like we tame an animal, but God can tame that tongue. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit and his help, I think we can live out the principles that we'll be looking here at here in Ephesians. And so the first one I want to look at is our speech will be truthful. And we see that here in verse 25. We will speak the truth to our neighbor. And if we look back at the preceding verses to this chapter, we see a very different picture than our life in Christ. It's a pretty dark and bleak picture, but here Paul is illustrating what our life will look like after we accept Christ and allow the faith of Jesus Christ to transform our lives. And the one way is that we will be truthful. God speaks out 
know, very clearly in Scripture about not being truthful. Proverbs 12.22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. And sometimes it can be very difficult to be honest about things in our lives. And yet here it shows us that that's when God's favor is upon us. When we are untruthful and deceptive, it says that's an abomination to God. And I don't know how many of you know who Jordan Peterson is, but he's a well-known psychologist. Um, I don't know if he's still living. He did live in Canada. But that's one of the things he points out, that if you want to get your life on the right track is to be a truthful person. He says it's very imperative that we speak the truth. And he stresses that, por- that point a lot. So even a secular psychologist realizes that this is an important thing for a person's life. But we also need to be mindful that we need to speak the truth in love, which is just a few verses back in Ephesians 4.15. It talks about speaking the truth in life. Sometimes we like to speak the truth, but it's not very loving. So we need to be sure that we combine those two. It needs to be done in a spirit of love when we are speaking to other people. You know, our old nature tends toward deception. We want to think, say things that are favorable to ourselves and paint us in a good light. But when we are a child of God, our focus shifts to God and away from our own lives. After we are made new in Him, we want to lift Him up, not ourselves. Looking at verse 29, our speech of a redeemed person will be wholesome. It says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. So the opposite of corrupt is a wholesome conversation. And if we glance over into chapter 5 of Ephesians, Paul talks some more about our words. In verse 4 of chapter 5, he says, Neither filthiness nor jesting, neither filthiness, foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. So Paul is pointing out here that we should be, instead of having empty, um, frivolous conversations, let it be filled with thanksgiving. And he talks about um, sins there in the first three verses. And so not only is it um, not wise for us to not do these sins, but it's also wise for us not to make light of them or to talk foolishly about them. But we are to have a heart of gratitude. We are to be giving thanks. Our hearts should bring forth thankful conversations. Also in Matthew twelve thirty six, it says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof on the day of judgment. You know, our words not only affect our lives today and the lives of those around us today, but they also, thought they also will affect our future destiny. We need to be aware that God is taking notice of the words we use. In Matthew 15, 11 says, Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth defileth the man. Here in this setting, um, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and they were worried about the disciples not washing their hands before they were eating. And while that was a valid concern, I think we all value hygiene and being cleanly. There are things that are of higher value than that. Jesus reminds us that, you know, that the spiritual is what is important. You know, that's a good reminder for us to consider that it's all, you know, although it's wise to 
pay attention to our diets, pay attention to our physical bodies, some days that physical body is going to perish. There's no, there's no denying that, but our spiritual life will remain for eternity. So let's be um, mindful of the spiritual food that we eat so that the things that come out of our mouth do not defile our bodies. And also in verse 29 is the thought of edifying words. And edifying is building up or teaching. So the child of God will help to build up those around him. He will have a speech that will help others be established, that will help them make wise choices, um, and help them in their walk on this earth. You know, we see here Paul here giving the contrast of words that destroy versus words that build up. You know, God has a mission for us as his children, and that's to, you know, be people that share life, people that share hope to those around us, to help them be established and build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. You know, we can do that with our words as we associate with people in our communities. And also in Proverbs 126, it says, Pleasant words are as, are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. I think that's very true. And then lastly, in verse 31, it talks about evil speaking, which um, I think would be slander. You know, in our current climate, in our current culture, um, this is something that we have to be very aware of. Um, people having very different viewpoints, slandering each other, trying to make their points. So I think we, as Christians, need to be very careful um, how we speak of others. We do not want to speak ill of those that um, are in our country, in our world, in our communities. You know, God is a God of peace and kindness, not of evil speaking. You know, just we can very easily be pulled into um, talking ill of those who we may disagree with, but God calls us to be loving and kind, even those that treat us wrongly. You know, as James said in our text for today, how can a spring produce good water and bad at the same time? You know, that just doesn't work very well. You know, so as we experience the grace and love of God in our life, how can we help but do the same to those around us? You know, if our hearts are filled with Jesus, we will want to show that love to Jesus. And so we see in this passage of Scripture that Paul quite a number of times mentions that as we become a child of God, we will have a new way of speaking. We will speak truth, we will talk in ways that build up, we will edify and not tear down. You know, so in closing, um, you know, as I studied this topic of our tongue again, and how we as children of God are to relate to others and to God with our words, I was, you know, first of all, made very aware of the areas of my life that I need to grow in. And just how many ways that scripture really talks about this topic. I was you know, surprised how many verses and scriptures point out the need to, to have wise and upvoting speech. So I would just encourage you all this morning to take a look into the word and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your life in this area. And I just want to leave a verse with you this morning, which co comes from Colossians 4, 6. It says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.
Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning and we recognize and acknowledge the challenge that our words can be. And we just cry out to you this morning for the power of your Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to guide us as we speak, help us to speak words that build up and edify and that most of all honor and glorify your name. We just thank you for that, all that you have done for us and you continue to do for us today. We just pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Ken, do you have a song?